Hey everybody, and welcome once again to the Trashman Kids Podcast. We're your hosts, Damien Rivera and Jackie, aka La China del Norte. <laughs> oh my god, I love it. Join us every week as we pour over the media that warped our minds and molded us into the upstanding mutant citizens we are today. We'll pick up our old favorites, current obsessions, and all the glorious trash in between. There exists in the annals of print media history an institution that serves as the bedrock of American identity and principles. You might be thinking, is it the Atlantic? To that I say to you, get a hobby, you joyless slob. (laughs) The New Yorker, maybe? Wrongo, you pretentious uptight fuck. Rolling Stone? And to you I say, get a job and stop spamming Instagram with your self-diagnosed mental illness! You smelly hipster! You freak! Is it Vogue magazine? Kick rocks, slut. The cornerstone I refer to is, of course, the house that Alfred E. Newman built, Mad Magazine. That was an amazing intro. I am so excited to be learning about Mad Magazine today with Damien's tutelage. He is all-knowing about Mad Magazine. I mean, not really. I, I, try I mean, my best. you know a lot. I try my best. Yeah, it's a subject that I'm not super familiar with. Um, I didn't grow up reading Mad Magazine. However, in doing the little bit of research that I did for this episode, I found out that I do know more than I thought. Um, there's a lot of references in pop culture to Mad Magazine. Of course, everybody is familiar with um, Alfred E. Newman, the mascot of Mad Magazine. And we'll discuss that most likely later. But, you know, I did grow up watching the Mad TV show, which references Mad Magazine a lot. Um, I know about uh, the two spies. Spy versus spy. Spy versus spy. I know about that. So I'm super excited to, like, learn more. And I hope everybody else listening is excited to Get edumacated about Mad Magazine. It's yeah. about to pop off. Yeah, I'm excited. All right, all right. So let's be serious. Okay, so let us begin. I'm ready. So we start from the from the very beginning. You start wherever I want. Yeah, wherever you want. You can start from the end if you so, want. <laughs> I, I think I guess uh, Mad Magazine to me has been one of those things that's always just been in my life. Mm-hmm. I really wouldn't be able to tell you the first time that I picked up the magazine. Like, I do have memories of, like, I remember one of the first comic books, like, that kind of stuff. But Mad Magazine, it feels like it's always just been there. And then, especially as a kid, knowing that it had been around, my dad used to talk about Mad Magazine. Mm -hmm. When you're a child, you're you're like, oh, so that must must be fucking ancient. It must have just been around forever. So it was just an institution that felt was just there. It was like Walt Disney, Mickey Mouse, Looney Tunes. It was just like these things that have just always been a part of life yeah it's carved its way into like our pop culture in such a way like disney it seems as though you've sort of grown up with it yeah and that's why like even for me while i haven't really read the magazine once i started to do the research or i've like taken a look at the magazines that you own i'm like oh i know about this yeah it's it's there in the back of your mind, but yeah. it might not fully form itself. You might not understand everything, and I feel like that's almost intentional. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, it's it's sort of like um, a pop culture meat grinder, where mm-hmm. it's like stuff goes in, and then the process, like what comes out, is sort of just reality turned back in on itself, and you don't really realize like, oh, this is actually it's the same thing. It's just through a different lens that like yeah. you know. Super fun. Yeah. Um, when did Mad Magazine start? Um, so Mad Magazine it initially started in the 40s oh. as a publishing company called EC Comics. Ooh. Um, and it was founded by Max Gaines. And at the time, EC stood for Educational Comics. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
So Max Gaines Educational Comics, it's specialized in distributing Bible comics and comics about American history to churches and schools. So that's sort of like the germ of like where that the publishing company itself began. I would not have expected that. That's so strange to me. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, it was that was the time <laughs> for it, you know, if there was a Was it like truly because they sort of believed in all this that they created this company and and were making these comics or was just like a means to an end like we just want to create? That I don't know. It seems like it's almost a mixture of both because it was a comic book company. Mm-hmm. For the 40s, it seems like that would be in line with the type of content that would be sort of mass produced and like accepted by society as a large, at large, mm-hmm. would be Bible stories and educational materials. Okay. So it's just like a product of its time. Yeah. Um, and I think it, it was probably very intentional that they published those types of stories because um, uh, eventually Max Gaines was killed in a boating accident in 1947. And eventually his son, Bill, took it over. The first thing he did was rebrand the company. He, he thought that the Bible stuff and the history stuff was kind of bland and sort of just very white, white bread. So then he rebranded it into a horror, sci-fi, and crime publishing company. And he renamed it instead of educational comics. It became entertaining comics. <laughs> okay. So they didn't have to change uh, much about the, the logo. logo. Yeah. <laughs> very easy. Very convenient. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he took over the company. They began specializing in horror, sci-fi, war stories as well. Their most famous property was actually Tales from the Crypt. Oh, yes, I love Tales from the Crypt. That's why I was like, oh, this is familiar to me because I used to love watching the show and I'm familiar with the comics. Yeah, a lot of people, I mean, I guess now information is more readily available, but that's such a weird disparity to know that like from from the same banner that Mad Magazine came out of, Tales from the Crypt also came out of. Yeah, it's a a super fun fact and I was really excited to learn it. Yeah. Because I love Tales from the It's Crypt. cool, yeah. No, it's awesome. And this was <laughs> Remember kind of, when yeah. Becky played um the Tales from oh, the yeah. Crypt soundtrack the for... The Christmas album. Yes. It's so all epic. the Crypt Keeper. Yeah. Yeah, that was good. Oh, sorry. It's about, there's I a know. whole song about a guy murdering his wife. Yes, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. For Christmas, everybody, you should definitely play the Tales from the Crypt soundtrack for your friends and family. All right, back to... I agree. Back to your so. Mad Max facts. Mad, Mad Max facts? <laughs> Mad Magazine Facts. That'll be good. We'll do a show on Mad Max and we'll call it Mad Max Facts. Yeah. Mad Magazine Facts. All right. Go. So under the new regime, Bill Gaines actually saw a lot of success with the newly formed EC Comics. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, in 1954, a few years later, a joyless repressed German psychiatrist named Frederick Wortham Mm -hmm. wrote a book called Seduction of the Innocent. It was a book in which he studied juvenile delinquents and what leads kids to be sort of dregs of society. Mm Mm-hmm. And a majority of the blame he placed on comic books. Of course. He blamed comic books for not only juvenile delinquency, but also sexual perversion and homosexuality. It's funny because this is around the time that Brown vs. Board of Education was happening. Yeah. So, like, you had the biggest Supreme Court cases up until that time in American history. Where it was like, oh, like, black people just want to be treated like human beings and be able to attend the same schools, whatever. And then you had somebody publishing this, which was like, oh, if your kid reads a comic book, he might want to, like, lick toes or whatever. <laughs> like toes? Yeah. That's the worst. Deviancy or whatever. Yeah. I mean, also, like, in the 1940s and 1950s, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but we were, like, approaching, like, the McCarthy area where even Mm -hmm. movies were being censored because they were scared that the imagery shown in movies, whether if it was too sexual or too violent in nature or too perverse, would also lead people 
to all types of debauchery. So yeah. it, it, it it lines up with the time frame of where we were, at least in America. Yeah, which is funny because it's like, if anything, if anything's going to mess up a kid in this time period, it probably wouldn't be Tales from the Crypt. <laughs> It'd probably be like, you know, your mom's a drunk, your dad is like fucking rent boys, like you're, te- you're being beaten to death at school. Like, you know, like that's probably like the failure of this supposed nuclear family at that time is probably would have would have fucked a kid up way more than like reading some type of you know sci-fi i think there's this just like belief that family dynamic and your god and your family like religion your family and then like a good education quote-unquote a good wholesome education and then there's this belief that like oh well we can't we have to control everything else that they could consume that, you know, the family and church and school can't control. So that's where like censorship of movies comes in, censorship of comic books and all that kind of stuff comes in. Cause yeah, I, I don't know how long, Even though like yeah. we know now that like, yeah, your family is probably the number one thing that's going to fuck you up in this life. Yeah. Back then there was this belief that as long as you were like part of a good family, going to church, getting a good education that you wouldn't become a delinquent and we just have to control all the other outside factors. Yeah, I mean, I think at the time, and that's true, but at the time, and even today, I think it just served almost like as a scapegoat where it's oh, like, yeah, that's true. you could put your parental failings onto like, yeah, oh, definitely. my kid read a crime, you know, like a crime comic where Scarface like shot up cops and that's what made him, you know, rob a grocery store or whatever, where it's like, no, it was probably just you like weren't there for him and didn't yeah. guide him. I mean, I guess that's what I was sort of getting at in a way but yeah it is definitely a scapegoat not only for your family members but also for like scientists like this wartham guy who like didn't want to dig deeper and just wanted to like have something to blame yeah this it's like you know if your kid's violent it's probably because they're beating the shit out of him at school like the nuns are dragging you know knocking fucking uh like rulers against his knuckles or something I mean, I don't want to talk about this in another podcast, but like, mm-hmm. you know, even religion. You don't want to do a religion podcast? No, but like religion and the Bible, there is a profound amount of violence, quote mm-hmm. unquote, like perverse ideas in the Bible. And they were teaching it like at school. So it's like, oh, what, what are you, you know, yeah. pot kettle, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I don't want to get into that. But yes, no. Mad Magazine. We should, start our, we should start a religion podcast. No, thank you. I don't want to talk about religion we're more gonna, than necessary. We're going to call it the Pax Pod. Oh, God. <laughs> our symbol is going to be the, the fish. It's going to be the fish mixed with the dove. So it's going to be a winged fish. <laughs> flying fish. What were we talking about? We were talking about... Um, censorship yes. of books. So, Seduction of the Innocent came out. Frederick Wortham fucked the whole shit up. So this caused a new sort of public eye on comic books to where there wasn't really before in terms of seeing comic books as sort of a very having a very uh, negative effect on young psyches. What happened was it was actually it was actually Bill Gaines that got together with other publishers. Uh, They're the ones that sort of came together and came up with the comics codes, comic codes authority. Mm hmm. Which I didn't think that was what happened. I thought mm-hmm. it was another like outside entity. Right. And Damien schooled me before the podcast started. And he was like, well, actually, that's not the fact. Well, so the, reason, <laughs> so the reason he did that was he thought, okay, well, we should all get together and see if we can kind of regulate ourselves to be able to get ahead of like there being any actual legitimate censorship that comes from the government or w- whatever groups or, you know, things 
being deemed offensive or good taste, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it was his idea like, oh, we'll all come together and we'll sort of try to work together to to sort of skirt around this. What ended up happening was it sort of got away from him. Mm -hmm. And the comics, the CCA, as it was called, they sort of became a self-censoring kind of body in comics. So they had a list of things that you could and couldn't show Mm -hmm. in comics. And the way this affected the comic books industry at the time was you could produce comics that didn't have that stamp of approval most retailers wouldn't carry any books that did not have that so you'd essentially just be sending your comics into the void you'd be making them but no major newsstands or comic book shops or anything like that would carry your comics if they didn't have that cca approved seal oh so like this um seal that you're talking about is it sort of the equivalent of like having like a rating on a video game or Kind of. On a, on a film. Yeah, it didn't really give you tears in terms of like, this comic was good for kids, this comic is good for teenagers. It just, there was a list of things that a comic book could not have in mm-hmm. order to be published. So that seal basically just let people know th- that this comic does not contain any of these taboo things. Oh, okay, and I they're, see. they're really weird and nebulous too. Of course. Um, it's always weird and nebulous. Yeah. <laughs> like one of the one of the, the bullet points of, of things that could not be in a CCA proof comic was sex perversion. <laughs> which is just, you know, okay. whatever. Uh one of the things was if there was a criminal like any sort of criminal? like any criminal, he always had to answer for his crimes. Okay. So, you know, in every instance, good shall triumph over evil and the criminal punished for his misdeeds. Would have fucked with EC comics because they had crime stories where criminals you know, it was about gangsters and like low lives and stuff like that like anti-heroes that would have excluded that sort sort of material and stories and stuff like that mm-hmm. um you couldn't have anything having to do with zombies like walking dead vampires mm-hmm. vampirism cannibalism or what they call werewolfism <laughs> so pretty much any horror comics would be taken off which was exactly what they were making at the time yeah <laughs> and that's the other thing too is like it got so ridiculous to the point where you couldn't advertise your comic as being weird horror terror like you couldn't say you know weird tales or tales of horror that you couldn't have that as not even as you like your title yeah no you couldn't have any of that so that was like bill games kind of shot himself in the foot yeah with that now i know that you read something in terms of the cca having to do with the actual creation of mad magazine yeah that's what i was under the impression like they i thought that mad magazine sort of became um a thing because the CCA was imposing all of these codes that were making it impossible for them to create the comics that they wanted to create. Mm-hmm. So um, at the time, uh, magazines, which were considered just like, you know, giant ads for yeah. products, were not being censored by yeah. the CCA because it doesn't fall under the comic book genre. So that's why they titled it Mad Magazine and um publish it that way as a magazine so they could yeah. override that is that not true i've heard that too i thought that for a long time as well i think what happened was there's like some you know bill gaines didn't want to seem like he shot himself in the foot mm-hmm. so badly so he was like oh we're just gonna over time over over mad magazine 60 plus years mm-hmm. he sort of changed the story i mean i don't know because like what you said i've heard that before where he was like fuck it we'll turn it into a magazine we won't fall under the cca we can publish whatever we want yeah but this book I was reading called Mad About the 50s, which is all about Mad's early years. Mm-hmm. In it, they were saying EC Comics would pay creators depending on how many books you worked on. 
Okay. So some people would just work on one book. They get paid for one book. If you made two books, you pay for two books. Mm -hmm. At the time, there was a writer and editor named Harvey Kurtzman. He was a notoriously slow worker. <laughs> he would... Um, okay. There was two people. There was Al Feldstein and Harvey Kurtzman. Mm -hmm. And them two and Al Gain were sort of responsible for like this genesis of Mad Magazine. Mm -hmm. But Al Feldstein, essentially, he could bang the comics out like nothing. So he was getting paid way more money. However, it was Harvey Kurtzman who he took the artwork, not seriously, not that people didn't take it seriously, but he was a true artist and like a draftsman. He wrote a lot of war stories. And for him, research was everything. So he wouldn't write a book until they say he knew every detail down to what the army's buttons looked like. Oh dear. And like okay. he needed reference of like every like he wouldn't ever dare make things up. If it was a German submarine, it would have to look different than an American submarine because they do look different. Like he was very he was a very grounded artist and a very gifted artist. Maybe yeah, maybe he had the tism. I mean, I I, I hate to put labels he on somebody without knowing, but like everything you're describing sounds very spurred like. Yeah. So he, you know, I, like I mentioned before, amazing draftsman, an amazing creator, but that was the one thing is it would take him two months to compile research and reference and that kind of stuff before he would even start a comic. So he was getting paid less and he felt like he was producing quality work that he deserved more money for. Mm -hmm. Bill Gaines told him, no, I can't pay. You're only making one book. It's, you know, I can't help it that it takes you like three months to write a book. So the agreement that they came to was that Gaines told him he would pay him extra money if he started... If he was able to do a second book very quickly, and it's something that wouldn't take a long time, don't be anal about your references and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And he suggested that Harvey Kurtzman make a comedy book, because that's actually what got him the job at EC Comics, was he, he sent in a portfolio of, of comedy, like comic strips and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. That's essentially how Mad Magazine was born. So Mad Magazine was published as a comic book initially. Initial. When it comes to the switch in terms of it becoming a magazine, basically what happened was Hugh Hefner started a magazine called Trump and wanted to recruit Harvey Kurtzman, right? Uh-huh. It was, was going to be a pretty cushy position. So Harvey Kurtzman went to Gaines mm -hmm. and told him, listen... I really want to make this a magazine. He'd been harping Gaines forever to turn Mad into a magazine. Magazines cost more money to make, so Gaines was vehement about keeping it as a comic. Uh-huh. Yeah, because he's, uh, like, very uh, tight with the, the monies. He was tight, but also this was a time where it's publishing. You didn't make a lot of money making comic books, hmm. you know? Okay. So he told him, Hugh Hafner's offering me all this money to, you know, go over to Trump Magazine. I need more money. I want to start a magazine, all this stuff. And Bill Gaines, over time, acquiesced just to keep Harvey Kurtzman in the EC bullpen. And that's sort of how Mad Magazine made the shift into becoming a magazine rather than a comic book. Just because... He wanted to keep Harvey Kurtzman on staff. Okay. Because he felt like Kurtzman was sort of his ace in the hole as an editor, writer, and artist. Mm, I see. But who knows? It, it, it's, it's, it's strange that it would just be like to hold on to one person, especially because from what I understand, there are multiple artists for Mad Magazine, right? It's not just the one. Yeah, but at the time, Mad Magazine was new. They had all, uh, only had one issue. Yeah. Okay. So what was the obsession that Kurtzman had with making it a magazine then? I think he just felt that Because like, was... what's the distinction? Well, Unless he was trying was... to get over that whole, like, I want to do whatever I want. Yeah. And the comic book 
Uh, the CCA is making it impossible, so let's make it into a magazine. I don't think it was that. I think it was more... Because first, what, front, what else would be um, the distinction at the time? Right. So up front, uh, magazines were, were a little bit more... Um, they, were see, they were seen as a little bit more distinguished. Comics, I mean, they still are, but at the time especially, we're seeing this almost like a disposable garbage art form. It was for kids. Nobody, you know, past the age of 12 reads comics. Got it. And a magazine was something that was like... It was professional. It was like the big boys. Okay. You know? Got it. Also, just... Cost-wise, comic book at the time cost ten cents. Mm-hmm. A magazine at the time cost twenty-five cents. So you're making double profit. So that also might have been a factor. Like I mentioned before, this could be an apocryphal tale. Mm-hmm. It could be that over time, Mad Magazine sort of just embraced the fact that they were sort of a counterculture kind of like stick it to the man sort of publication. Yeah. So they might have just themselves kind of warped the tale of like you know Bill Gaines just trying to keep Harvey Kurtzman into like nah man we did it to fight the commerce codes authority (laughs) so it could be you know like who knows what the truth is now like everybody's dead and it's been so long Mm -hmm. like there's really no telling what the true story is but i'm sure it's somewhere between those two yeah harvey kurtzman was actually the first editor at mad magazine to focus on uh sort of parodying genres Mm -hmm. he laid the groundwork for that in terms of what the magazine was going to be mad magazine became one of the greatest not only satirists but it was a a parody publication so you know everything from you know coca-cola advertisements they had fake ads they had movie movie spoofs in it that were directly related to Star Wars or like Rocky or whatever the big picture was. So it was a one-to-one kind of, um, so that sort of set them in that direction. So when you say one-to-one for people listening might not know what that means. Does it mean that there's no ongoing story? It's just that there's just one comic. It references this piece of pop culture, Star Wars, like you mentioned, and then that's it. Like it's not ongoing. The story doesn't continue on the next Mad Magazine. So with that, yeah, it's that. But when I mean one-to-one, I mean like Star Wars came out. And then there was a Star Wars parody in Mad Magazine. Okay. It wasn't Mad Magazine. It wasn't Mad Magazine saying, oh, now we're going to make... Like, you know, there were Star Wars and Spaceballs. Yeah. Mad Magazine wasn't like, oh, we're going to do Spaceballs. We're going to do our own goofy sci-fi story that's a takeoff of Star... They're like, no, they literally just took Star Wars and made a parody of Star Wars. Got it. He eventually jumped shit. Mm-hmm. Harvey Kurtzman... <laughs> so all of that for left nothing an, left anyway because <laughs> he wanted more money for the magazine yeah over time you know he wanted to do bigger things with the magazine he wanted more money to produce it uh things that couldn't be done at the uh, financially couldn't be done for mad magazine at the time he jumped ship ended up working with hugh hafner on his new magazine Al which Felsi. i've never heard of so i guess that wasn't a good trade-off <laughs> <laughs> And that's not the only thing. Harvey Kurtzman also, he took all the, he took most of the mad artists with him to Trump Magazine. So that left them sort of dead in the water a little bit. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. He took a lot of people with him. The Um, scandal. Yeah. At the time, there was an artist that that stayed at Mad, and he kind of went between Mad and Trump just sort of doing... Both? Both, yeah. Until Kurtzman and Hefner gave him an ultimatum saying it's either us or them. There's no in-between that he basically said, oh, you guys are control freaks. Fuck this. And he went back to mad Mm. full time. I see. Then from there, Al Feldstein took over. He was the one that sort of developed the tone in terms of Mad Magazine having its own character. Like when you read Mad Magazine, yeah, there's comics and stuff like that in it and like parodies and things that sort of poke fun at politics and shit like that. But the magazine itself has a tone to it, whether it's the letters from the editor or the letters to the fans or fan responses, that kind of stuff. And he was the one that sort of developed that kind of like 
mischievous sort of like self-deprecating tone that characterized the magazine itself okay um i think that's another thing that sort of drew me to mad magazine is like the level of self-deprecation that it had you know <laughs> you're just drawn to like even things. yeah even till the end like they call themselves the usual gang of idiots uh, that's the the the, the, the creative the staff up. the creative bullpen that was their sort of nickname among themselves and you know sort of embracing um like the people that they sort of believe are taking in the media well that's not that's the thing too is like it's not even them it's themselves it's not even like our readers it was among their their own oh okay you know like it was always they 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 pushed the notion that they themselves were trash (laughs) and that's persistent throughout all of mad Mm, you know what i mean even the the price code on the thing it would say 2.99 cheap (laughs) <laughs> you know it would say oh, where so it was it wasn't even like and that's literally till the day they ended publication yeah it would have that thing that said cheap no matter how fucking expensive it got <laughs> so those are the sort of the two things that really put mad in that kind of direction of like okay well we're not going to take anything seriously everything is up for grabs in terms of like what we're going to harpoon and lambast and make fun of and nothing was ever off the table which i really appreciated you know the magazine touched on everything from politics pop culture religion civil rights social issues nowadays it's like cool to be woke okay wokeness can come off like very insincere and corny you know what i mean there's almost like nothing behind it like it's easy for anybody to you know why isn't there a Chinese guy in this Dunkin' Donuts advertisement? Like, people just... It's like, what are you? What are we really fighting for here? Yeah. And what I appreciated about Mad Magazine is, like, it actually had a sort of way of putting things that you didn't feel like you were being preached to. Like, there was no virtue signaling in Mad Magazine. I see. So, like, they touched on all this, like, heinous shit that, like, the government or uh, lawmakers or whatever were doing, but it was done in a way that, like, it, it was intelligent enough that it, it didn't, you didn't feel like they were sort of, like, you know, kneeling down in front of you and, like, oh, yeah, you, this is bad. Don't do this. Like, it wasn't preachy or anything. Do you think that... Wokeness is a jokeness is what I <laughs> Well, I feel like now it's very easy to feign caring about these subjects. Mm-hmm. because you know with social media while social media is good in like you can be introduced to more of the bad things that are happening mm-hmm. because you can share videos you can share photos you can share information but it's also easy to like put a hashtag in your bio mm-hmm. black out your screen for a day but not really like actually believe the things that mm-hmm. you're hashtagging yeah so in a way you're you're saying that like they weren't pandering to anybody, but they were very much like it's clear that they had a stance and they acknowledged the negative things that were happening in the world. Yeah, and the tone that they did it with didn't seem demeaning. You, so even you, though it was meant for children, they weren't. Well, that's the thing is, like, I don't even think it was meant for kids, really. I mean, I saw a sixty minutes documentary where these fools were talking about how they wanted to like educate children, that they wanted kids to like. You saw learn. what they look like. Yeah. Wasn't it the weirdest group of humans you've ever seen? I mean, it's also like this 60 Minutes interview was done in like the late, I want to say the late 80s Uh or the earlier late 80s. So yeah, they were a mess, but the 80s was a bit of a mess all Mm. over the place. But in that interview, they were talking about how their intent was to educate children. It was a little bit of like a joke when they said it, but they said, no, like we're talking about subjects that might fly over their head, but it might make them ask questions right? and learn as opposed to like comics that are just like, you know, whiz, bang, boom, like, you know, violence, like, you know, the hero wins in the end. It's like, no, we're talking about subjects that don't get talked about so that they can inquire 
and learn. Yeah. So I think it's towards kids. I think it's one of those things like the spectrum is just so broad mm-hmm. that it's like, yeah, you can be a kid and be like, oh, fuck, whatever, spy versus spy is like hilarious. But then adults can understand sort of like the dark subtext behind spy versus spy mm-hmm. or like behind whatever political jokes they might be making. Like it's so it's so broad, the the spectrum of people that I think it can reach and touch. Like I still read issues of Mad Magazine and I still get a belly chuckle. A belly chuckle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like I'm not a kid really, but it's like well, I don't the, think the, the writing is, is, is clever mm-hmm. and yeah, it, it does it it I, it can appeal to kids and it does appeal to kids, but I think there's such a big swath of people swatch, swath, I don't know, that it sort of appeals to, you know. Mm -hmm. I think it's just like, you know, obviously as you age, you see more of the themes and things that you didn't notice before when you were a kid consuming the same media. Yeah. Because it's at the end of the day, it's adults writing it. So Mm -hmm. there are always going to be themes that kind of fly over your head as a kid because you're sort of getting the big picture of it. Yeah. And then when you get grow older, like I rewatch stuff all the time and I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a little risky. Do you think that the stuff that you watch as a kid, when you watch it now, it holds up? Yeah. You think so? I think a lot of it does. Like, clearly, like, not fucking, like, Blue's Clues and all that nonsense, but I think a lot of the cartoons I used to watch hold up, especially cartoons that were on Cartoon Network hold up for me. Like, I, the recently, we were rewatching Dexter's Laboratory, mm. and I loved Dexter's Laboratory as a kid. I fucking loved it. But now that I'm older and I've been exposed to much more things, when I watch it now, I was like, oh my God, that's so funny. I can't believe they're referencing that because now I understand the references. Right. And I understand like the choices that they've made. And like just, the, we've watched the Dexter's Laboratory episode where they were referencing like all these comic books. And now that I'm older, I understand it so much better. And I yeah. enjoyed it for what it was worth for face value back in the day. Mm-hmm. But now that I'm older, I'm just like, this is so amazing. This holds up so well. Like, it's so funny because of those subtle nuances that I wouldn't have recognized when I was young. Yo. You think Legend holds up? What? You think Legend holds up? The movie? The movie. My favorite is movie ever. Does it hold up? Yes. Honest, honestly, can you... I don't, I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying you honestly in your heart of hearts. Okay, we haven't even done an episode on Legend yet, which I want to do. Uh-huh. This is not going to be a trash bash of Legend right now. I'm not saying it's a trash bash. Okay. I'm asking you. I sure think Legend holds up. I'm sure there's movies that I like. As I, I can't even like remember like what movies were my shit. If I watched Ninja Turtles, the movie, the live action movie with the Jim Henson puppets, I think now I could watch it and be like, oh, it's really interesting how they did the animatronics and how yeah. they get things to move, whatever. I don't know if it would be the most compelling story or like if it holds up well, in that regard. But that... As you age, you learn to appreciate different things from the media that you consume. Mm-hmm. So, of course, all it was the media the, that warped our minds. All the, oh, one would say. warped our minds. Yes, exactly. So it's like when you were little, again, you're appreciating the face value of like the Ninja Turtles. There might be your favorite characters from the comic book. You're like, your mind is blown because they're fucking real now. Like, where did they get these turtles? Yeah, exactly. And so you enjoy like uh-huh. the violence and the funny and like, oh, they're eating pizza now. Or like for me, when I was little, Legend both scared me, but it also fell into that area where it's like, I just loved fairy tales. So it fell into that genre. Mm -hmm. As an adult, I understand that it's not the best movie ever made. I understand the story is quite simple. However, I think the story is quite timeless. Mm -hmm. They are still making stories very similar to Legend now. And Tim Curry as the devil is Mm -hmm. one of the best makeup practical effects 
Mm-hmm. And y'all can fight me on it. I will fight you. Mm-hmm. Legend is still great. Uh, yeah, Ridley I, Scott, amazing. I think, yeah. I don't know why you bought that specific movie up. Oh, well, don't fucking trigger me, because Damien. I know, because I, what happens is <laughs> when we record, uh-huh. right, I know you like to keep things like whatever, but I have to delve deep and make you like question yourself. Are you saying I have to question my love of Legend? I'm doing a deep dive. Do you not like Legend? No, I like it. The reason I brought it up was because I know it's your favorite movie. And like I said, Ninja Turtles, when I was a kid, was one of my favorite movies. And I I think a lot of people can agree when you look back on stuff that you liked as a kid, Mm -hmm. you look back on it now and you're just like, "Uh, I don't know. I mean, not everything is amazing. The big thing is like nostalgia. So people will like Mm -hmm. Back to the Future. Which I guess is a good movie. I don't know. But that whole movie is built on nostalgia. But but yeah, but didn't that that movie came out in the eighties? Yes, it came out in the eighties, right? Mm -hmm. But then it feeds off of your nostalgia for like the nineteen what fifties by going back in time and experiencing that. That that beautiful time when everybody police dogs chewing at their ass. Ah, what a time to be like the idyllic like movie version of the nineteen fifties, like what was like sold to you in magazines and movies and TV. So then it. Everybody who watched it in the 80s slash, what, 90s? No, 80s, right? Who watched what? The movie? Back to the Future in the 80s, right? I guess it was right? the 80s. You yeah. watched it and you're like, oh, wow, I'm so nostalgic for like that time. That seems so cool. And then all those kids grow up and they're like, I'm so nostalgic for the 80s now. Mm-hmm. So like it works on every level. Right. Will but, people so- still find it nostalgic when they're, what, in 2030 when they're watching it for the time, first time? Right. I don't know. Well, I'm I'm just saying that nostalgia sort of like tints everything to where it's like, oh, I automatically love GI Joes. And then maybe if you go back and watch GI Joe, it's like, oh, this is actually a piece of shit. No, I just I, like I, it can, ag- the- I can acknowledge mm-hmm. that certain things when I look back at them don't work and they're not great. Okay. But don't fuck with me with like this is so right <laughs> noted. This is a long winded way for me to say. Yeah. In my heart of hearts, I truly believe that as a as a platform for art and writing and satire, mm-hmm. that Mad Magazine still holds up to this very day. Like, you can read those issues from the 50s, mm-hmm. and yeah, they got a little bit more to political satire. So, like, you can read something about, like, Nixon or some type of political scandal, and it's not relevant, really, because it's we don't live in that time anymore. We've yeah, but on. everything is a but, circle. But, Everything's a but circle. the way they do it and... The quality of it, I think it's still... You can read... I feel like you can read all of that 100 years from now. Like, Well, because I think that... I think I agree with you. Um, Obviously, like, the listeners can't see the style of it. But I think that the style was ahead of its time. For its time, you didn't see a lot of comic books in the traditional sense. Yeah. Coming out with this kind of art style. So I think in that way, it holds up. And I think... The themes that they're discussing, as we know, all of the more serious themes are still a problem today. Yeah. And I feel like things like you mentioned, like stories about Nixon, politics, again, still issues that we're dealing with today. They're human experiences. Even for the like more negative ones, there's still a problem. It's still going to ring true and hold up today, tomorrow, 20 years from now. Yeah. And we still that, consume yeah. media that's like Mag Magazine. All of these shows that do commentary on uh, events, things like SNL, like all mm-hmm. that stuff, mm-hmm. it's not the same, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it still feeds off of Saturday, that same. Don't bring what? We're, we're oh, gonna, now you're we're, triggered. We're gonna, now? we're gonna do a rule now. You never bring Saturday Night Live up on this podcast. Okay, so because you, it's the word. I don't Saturday Night Live. Stop. You being, are gonna. Saturday we're gonna Night, lose 
half of the 20 followers that Saturday listen to Night us. Live stopped becoming a barometer of anything like 20 years ago. But I'm not ago. saying that Saturday Night Live is Saturday like Mad TV. Saturday Night Live. I'm not saying that Saturday Night Live is end all be all to Mad Magazine, uh-huh. but I'm saying that a lot of shows. Sorry, Mad TV. Sorry, Mad Magazine. <sighs> sorry. Whatever. You fuck up. You were doing time. so well. You were doing so well. Whatever. Every time you called it Mad Mad TV, I'd be like, on the outside, I'm like, I love you, Jackie. Yeah, look, it's just like Mad TV. <laughs> on the inside, I'd be like. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's like, I'm not saying that SNL is exactly like Mad Magazine. What I'm saying is, is that we still consume media that has that same idea. We're going to touch on real events, pop culture, and we're going to make fun of it. We're going to satire, right. satirize it, satirize, satirize it. So it's like, we're still consuming it. Things like this now, it's just not in printed form. It's in TV. It's in movies. Well, that's funny that you mentioned that. So like I mentioned before, it was one of those... Mad TV... See, now you have me doing Mad Magazine was noted for everybody got made fun of in it. Yeah. Like, it didn't matter if you were Democrat, Republican, uh, what type of music you like. Whatever. You are all silly. At some point... Yeah, at some point, somebody got it. Yeah. To the point where if you... First of all, it was like an honor to be featured in Mad Magazine. There's pictures of celebrities. If they were drawn on the cover of Mad Magazine in some type of like a goofier light than maybe they were known to be. Like there's pictures of celebrities smiling like idiots holding up the cover of Mad Magazine that they're drawn on. Yeah. So it's like if you got mad at being poked fun at at Mad Magazine, you're a fucking dick. (laughs) <laughs> like, like it was an honor, you know what I mean, to like be in that magazine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like you were talking about in terms of like relevancy, whatever. We were talking about it. A kid, things flying over kids' heads or whatever. It's funny because like as a kid, Mad Magazine was the one thing that sort of like crystallized all the events that seemed sort of nebulous at the time. Because they had the the they every year they had a year end wrap up and it was the twenty dumbest people events and things of blank. <laughs> So of nineteen ninety eight. That's fun. Nineteen ninety nine. And it was essentially a year in review of all the ridiculous shit in pop culture and politics that had happened that year. And like as a child, you're not paying attention to any of that as it happens. A nine year old kid at the time isn't gonna give a fuck about Enron and how they defrauded millions of investors. You're like you hear bits and pieces of news and you're sort of like, I don't really whatever. But that that year-end issue that they ran every year until the end of their publication spoilers the publication ended still tired about it (laughs) damien is not over it (laughs) yeah i still go into barnes and noble every month like you guys got the new mad magazine and they're like it's it's done i'm like i said did you have the new mad magazine please and they just like they just have the one copy that's just the last one and they just keep giving it to him right the lady's hitting the silent alarm under the thing (laughs) So, okay, sorry. <laughs> um, so again, like in terms of like educating kids, I guess yeah, you're right. Like it, it did have that impact where it's like, oh, it took these twenty things that were in the news, giant major like events that happened in our lives, and sort of just boiled it down to like literally one or two pages per event. Mm-hmm. So that was very as, as that was very important. I don't know. It's important. I agree. It just, I don't know. It, I feel like it just means so, a lot. He's very passionate about Mad Magazine. Which is why we're doing this episode. Maybe you guys might be intrigued and want to read a couple. I think it's important to like shed a little light on something like this. And this is what the podcast is about. Like we're talking about things that we're passionate about. And yeah, we're talking about silly things and like our own personal lives too. 
But we're talking about the media that warped our minds and made us into the people we are today. And Mad Magazine is a bit of influence and on you. I guarantee if somebody were to sit down with just go on eBay or whatever and buy just five issues of Mad Magazine. Mm-hmm. If you're into art, if you're whatever, just it'll do something to you. You know what I mean? It'll fondle you. It'll fondle you in your pants. <laughs> and that's the other thing I think that we need to bring up is just like the insane roster of artists that have worked at Mad Magazine over the t- over time. Yeah. In that magazine, again, it's seen as like kid stuff, dispense, dispendable, dispendable, expendable, expendable, and disposable. That's my new word. <laughs> Exposable. Ex- That's a word. That's a Ex- nice- Expendable, starring Sylvester Stallone and Jason Statham. <laughs> You know, as this sort of disposable art form, the magazine itself was a very well-rounded crash course in cartooning. You had so many different styles, people from different places. Mm-hmm. Spy vs. Spy was started by a Cuban guy from from Cuba, which at the time, I'm how many Cuban. Hispanics? There you go. Dale. <laughs> like, how many Cubans were working at a fucking magazine? That's right. You know what I mean? Or getting any type of commercial work. The the depth of, of artistic talent and just ability from those artists, fucking insane. Yeah. Like, stuff, you know, should be rightfully in museums. Or at least, I mean, who knows? There might be some renegade art teacher teaching the art of Mad Magazine in some college somewhere. But, like, you had Sergio Aragones, who has been in Mad almost, not since the beginning, but up again, up until the end, still did work for Mad Magazine. Tom Bunk was one of my favorite artists from Mad Magazine. Mm-hmm. His level of, of gross-out shit, there was a lot of pimples, <laughs> sweat. He actually did artwork for Garbage Pail Kids, too. Like, that was another one. Of That's why I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah, like, he was one of the ones that I remember just, like, looking at the pages over and over and it being so action-packed, there was always so much stuff happening. It's like you could just look at the pages forever. Um, you know, people like Bill Ray, Don Martin, who was one of the originals. Al Jaffe was one of the original guys. Al Jaffe was the one that originated the fold-in back. It was functional. Oh, okay. Like, he he did artwork for the magazine, but then he developed that, the fold-in. And mm-hmm. it was, I don't know if our listeners are familiar, but it, it would essentially almost give you like a riddle. The biggest threat to the United States, this is just an example. The biggest threat to the United States in 2001 was and then it's a picture mm-hmm. that's kind of like a weird sort of psychedelic like other stuff happening mm-hmm. and then you had to sort of fold the magazine in a certain way and it would give you the answer to the riddle mm-hmm. and when you folded it it would give you the image and it would be like say an image of george bush okay. so like it was that you know like that's again the classic shit like i don't think anybody that's into mad magazine could ever imagine a mad that didn't have that fold out in the back you had artists like Mort Drucker, who was responsible for many, many of the movie parodies. Like, Amazing Draftsman. His stuff should be in... I'm sure he's probably been in, in featured in the Society of Illustrators or something. He has to have some type of accolades. 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 You had Duck Edwin. Like, all these guys were super heavy hitters. It's like, I'd be hard-pressed to find any comic book artist, illustrator, creative person, painter, whatever, that didn't take some of their flavor from mad magazine i feel like you take some of your flavor from mad magazine yeah it's it was formative to me as like an artist and a person where it was sort of the idea that like everything is up for grabs you can make things the way you want to make it you could be a little bit don't be don't be afraid to be stupid you know what i mean like (laughs) like they were they were very they were very stupid but in an intelligent way it was so at that point it stops becoming stupid it's like I don't think they it's... cultivated this character mm-hmm. where they were sort of like 
oh, we're going to play the jester, but we're actually this, like, really... Yeah, that's what I was going to sort of say. Like, it's sort of like a jester. I don't think it's, like, altogether, like, oh, we're just being stupid. It's like, no, we're just... They're seeing that life is crazy and upsetting. We're just going to, like, laugh about it, you know? Because, yeah. you know, you can you can do what you need to do to try to make positive change in the world, but then they also realize, like, all of this is cyclical. It's going to keep happening. People are selfish or silly. So we're just going to, like, point a finger, laugh at it, yeah. and try to, like, get some joy out of, like, this moment or this, car- this cartoon, this magazine. They, they, I mean, they definitely taught me that, like, you know, life is too brutal to, like, not think that everything is hilarious. Not everything. You know, and it's like, yeah, they teach you to sort of, like, dance in the shadow of the mushroom cloud or whatever. And that's something that I'm very grateful for. Like, not only artistically, in ter- like, I would just pour over those those issues just over and over again, replicating, replicating, because it was such a diverse crew of people that they had. Mm-hmm. I, I think I might have told you this, but the first time I ever felt sad at a celebrity death, Mm-hmm. was in 2016 when Duck Edwin died. Mm-hmm. That was the first time that I heard a celebrity died and I got like a little bit misty Aww. because I would remember looking at his comics and like trying to copy them. Even now as I'm talking, I don't know if you I'm getting a little like, oh, no. Oh, it's so sad. <laughs> like, I remember reading over that and being like, reading over his comics and being like, I think I could do this because his, his style was so pared down and simple but so complex and it was one of the things that was like, Oh, I can fucking just make a character with two ping pong eyes, a giant nose, a big fat body. Like, that's yeah. all you fucking need. Isn't that great? Sometimes you, like, wh- whether it's you're interested in writing or art or comic books or movies, like, you're like, oh my god, this seems so unattainable because these artists are so skilled. Like, somebody like uh, Harvey. Yeah, Harvey Christmas. He, his style is it's very intense yeah. and uh, detailed and refined. And you're like, oh man, I wish I could do this, but I don't have the, the skill set. Yeah. But then you see something that's more, uh, as you would say, pared down and simple, yeah. but still so effective. And you're like, oh, no, maybe I can do this. Yeah. It's like, well, how, how does he do this? And he's still able to make stuff that's hilarious or, yeah, it's inspiring. The, the whole thing was just, it, I don't think that's something that could ever be replicated again, you know? And, don't uh, cry. I'm not crying. Oh, no. Shut up. And the thing, too, is like, they made fun of things I like. It was like, <laughs> fine. It was like, you know what I mean? Like. It was, it taught you not to take things so fucking seriously. And like, I don't know. There's a lot of, as a, as a, as a human being and an artist, I think I, I took a lot from it. You know? Yeah. As an art, uh, you know, other people that sort of count themselves as like, as a artist, I think they would be doing a service to themselves to like look through old, uh, issues of Mad. And they were doing Yeah, we'll post some stuff. Yeah, yeah. Throughout the week after this airs, I would so like that people post- could like see. Yeah, it would be cool if I had if I could dig up my collection, but that's somewhere. Yeah. In the place. I bought Damien. Uh, I went to oh, yeah. the UK and I, I didn't know what to get him, so I definitely like went into a comic book store and I went to the salesperson. I was like, my boyfriend is a comic books fan, Mad Magazine, but he just like loves comics in general. Like, can you like point me in the direction of something that's like quintessential? And he showed me like the Mad Magazines that he had, and I just picked like random ones, but they're pretty much the same that was right? very touching that was a very touching gift oh yeah you liked it yeah, I, I was so because like i didn't know what to get you from fucking you like me, uk yeah she got me it was a star wars comic from i think it was 1977 and the cover was like specifically for from for the for the for great britain yeah and then the second one was like you said mad magazine that was published for england yeah and it was the same like they had the movie patterns the same whatever but there was a few pages that you could tell that was they, specifically for yeah because they had it's important to know and you you haven't mentioned that yet because we've like 
weaved and bobbed into different topics. That's what but I do. Mad Magazine has been printed in many countries in yeah, different, different languages. languages. Yeah, so it's yeah. not a specific to America. Yeah. So another like I think that also like points out what we've been talking about how like not only does will it hold up through time but it clearly holds up on an international level like they're not changing much as Damien yeah. just said and it still speaks to people outside yeah. of the U S so well, yeah definitely but yeah so and Damien like when he goes well, well, the that, reason the why I bought that, you the, the Mad Magazine in that in that British issue mm-hmm. a lot of it was the same but then they had like a few things that were about Parliament so you're reading this I'm like I have no idea what the fuck this is but like as an artifact of like Mad Magazine in a different country amazing yeah. I love you boo. <laughs> no because damien always says that when he travels he likes to get stuff that's printed in that country yeah preferably in the language preferably in the language but they speak english there so i was like okay i will i will <laughs> and i didn't have a specific thing in mind so i just like i knew Mad magazine was a thing and that's why i kind of like stuck to that yeah you did good kid i Thank really you. liked it Yay. that was a very that was a very heartwarming gift. I'm glad it worked out. <laughs> Did you know that Weird Al Yankovic is like a huge Mad Magazine fan? I mean, that makes sense. He's considered like one of their like mega fans. Well, why didn't he help them survive? He's too busy looking at titties. Nobody could. Is that what he does? Is that? Oh. What were you thinking? Oh, I, I, I mean, Weird Al Yankovic probably loves titties himself, but. No, yeah. sorry. <laughs> I was thinking about somebody else. I don't want to talk about it. Is Weird Al Yankovic. We're omitting this. Is Weird Al Yankovic just, just a this. super pimp? He just like pulls up to the club and with his fucking accordion and just like, you know, the pussy just floods to his Thunderbird or whatever? I, I'm sorry. I was confusing him with someone else. We're going to edit this out. Why? Because it's silly. No, leave it in. No. Are you fucking kidding? I already said the joke about Weird Al playing, uh, playing okay, fucking Okay, fine. We'll leave it. We'll leave it. Okay, just go, 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 go. Back to, back to yeah. reality. So that kind of falls in line in terms of like parodying, parodying things. Discuss some of the history of Mad Magazine <laughs> in depth. You tried so hard. We have to... I could, I could tell the struggle. We had to stop so much because I keep saying Mad Max. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's Mad really cute. Ma- Trying to turn it into a Mad Max podcast. <laughs> that's really cute, Jackie. So we've discussed some history of Mad Magazine. We've debunked some stories, some history that may not have been entirely factual. And we've really, like, dived into how passionate, like, Damien is about it. But we haven't discussed one of the most important people are a part of Mad Magazine. And who is that, Damien? That would be the ever-present Alfred E. Newman. And who, for the listeners, is Alfred E. Newman? What is his contribution to Mad Magazine? Is he an artist? Is he a writer? Who is he? He is the mascot of Mad Magazine. Yay! Little, uh, little freckled. <laughs> the the kid that seems to be about like 15, 16 years old. Freckled boy. Gap tooth. Red hair. He has like those uh, big. Uneven eyes. Uh, like uh, jug, jug ears. ears. Yeah. He has He's... graced the page of every issue. Nearly every. Nearly every. Think from issue 11 on, I believe. Like, it's always him and his face from the front. Yeah, he's the mascot. But they always change up, like, his appearance. So, like, I know that he's been, like, Batman at some point. He's been... Yeah. Like the president. He he's a weird like Forrest Gump figure that finds himself in like all these <laughs> That's different That's a good way to describe it. Like all these different situations. And like you said, if he's not if he's not dressed as Batman or dressed as whatever is currently in the socio political or pop culture climate, he's usually he'll usually be like joined by you know, it'll be him next to Donald Trump. Him in some type <laughs> of him inserted in some type of 
context of being in a movie, it'll uh, generally be the joke is either he's in some type of job that he's not qualified for, mm-hmm. or he's making a like a. Uh, there's some type of joke about his physical appearance. So, like, there's an issue of Mad Magazine. It's the summer issue, and it's him, him eating a piece of corn. Have you mm-hmm. seen that? No, I haven't seen And it. it's like the whole corn is bitten, except there's a row where the kernels are because of his gap tooth. <laughs> so, like... That's funny. So that... Or it'll be people being, like, disgusted at him. So it'll be like the Avengers, but they're all, like, about to throw up looking at him. <laughs> nice. So it's like... He's, he's not that bad looking. I mean, he's yeah, not, he's but doofy, but... again, but... he, like... Like, the, he's the embodiment of Mad Magazine. It's this kid that... And a lot of times, it's... He's always in a good mood. Like, he'll be smiling. He'll be sort of either... What I love, what I love about him is that in his in the context that he exists in, he's either oblivious to the mayhem that's going on around him, or he's sort of like reveling in like the madness that's mm-hmm. that's surrounding him. You know what I mean? Like, well, like what we said before, like laughing at this horrible situation that he's found himself in. So he's sort of like this like Bugs Bunny character where he's like found himself everywhere. Sort mm-hmm. of, he's the butt of the joke sometimes, but he's also very much like a, a trickster himself, kind of. Yeah. Do we know why he's named Alfred E. Newman? Or is that just like, oh, one day they just called him Alfred and, and they kind of just went with that? I think that there was, they went through a few different names before they settled on Alfred E. Newman. I don't know exactly why they chose that that name. Mm-hmm. The character itself, uh, Harvey Kurtzman found a, uh, it was a postcard that said, it had a primordial picture of Alfred E. Newman. It was from a few years prior to whenever he found it. And it said, me worry. Like there was a little tagline at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Which, what me worry has become Alfred E. Newman's sort of catchphrase. Oh, like, Why are you looking at this? Because I don't, I, don't, I don't get it. Like, it's 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 basically like, it's become his, his calling card. Like, So he just found this random postcard with yeah. this random face on yeah. it it was a different he, version he was like i'm gonna take this face and i'll make it famous but he i'm hired, also gonna take this quote he hired yeah basically because it was a so it wasn't his design like it was this, this face existed well, before hired, mad magazine he, yeah so he hired an artist to sort of do a norman rockwell style style rendering of this weird little character that he found on a postcard okay so alfred e. newman uh yes he harvey kirschman found this postcard and he uh hired a commercial artist the commercial artist's name was norman mingo and at the time he was a very revered illustrator he was the one that was hired to do the portrait of alfred e. newman as we know him today okay and the one that's every issue thereafter has been styled after that original, original. painting of norman mingo um initially he sort of appeared throughout the magazine it was almost like an easter egg so if you imagine the disney movies having the hidden mickeys all over the place yeah Alfred Newman initially started as being that, like, they would hide him in little sections of the magazine and stuff like that. And this was before he graced the cover? Before he became the mascot. Okay. The history, it's interesting because nobody really knows where that image came from. Kurtzman found it on the postcard, but there's actually instances of that image of that type of kid, little redhead kid, gap tooth, big ears, crooked eyes. That image appears as far back as the 1870s. Oh. In different circumstances. So, like... There's images of that character on anti-Irish propaganda from the United States. Fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, he was he's been found on matchbooks for an auto parts store uh in Longhorn, Texas, mm-hmm. dating back to nineteen forty two. 
He was the mascot for a brand of soda called Happy Jack. <laughs> that's me. And that's 1939. <laughs> uh-huh. He's been found on menus of coffee shops in Nebraska. And even uh, 1905, there was a medicine. You know how back then they used to give like heroin and cocaine as medicine? Yeah. <laughs> there was a, a painkiller called Anticomnia, and it was a cure-all painkiller. The mascot for that, and also for a, a painless dentistry company. <laughs> so he's been around since... At least the 1870s. That image. And nobody could really trace where that image comes from. That's really interesting that, you know, they would choose to take a character like that that already kind of got around. Yeah. And just decide to put him on every single cover and just like sort of change up his appearance every now and then. I guess something about him sort of speaks to people yeah. because he was used for so such random things at some time. I think that he sort of encompasses the whole attitude of Mad Magazine. You know, like we mentioned before, it's like... He's just always smiling at like all of... The heinous shit that's going on yeah. around him. And I kind of like the idea that he's this weird like primordial figure that has sort of just appeared in different things throughout history and like he has an untraceable lineage lineage. yeah lineage like you don't really know okay who created him there was actually somebody sued mad magazine a couple years into into their existence Mm -hmm. because there was an artist that used that character for a the the bill the um when you go to a play there's like the brochure that you get with it yeah Mm -hmm. like a playbill like the playbill he ended up suing mad magazine and Mad Magazine then, in turn, had to do all this research, and that's where it was found, like, he's actually been in, like, he's been around forever. So it was essentially public domain, really. Oh, huh. So, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I... Nobody took ownership of it. It just existed mm-hmm. as far as, like... But now it's, like, so... Well, yeah, I'm sure... It's so... Was it synonymous with... With the magazine. That's with the, the only magazine thing only. And also, I'm sure now, if you tried to use it, like Time Warner would come after your ass. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> Definitely. But I, I think there's something, it's very fitting that this sort of like, this little like trickster god kind of character, always been around. I think that's very, it, it just fits in so well with Mad's, with Mad Magazine's sort of like ethos. Where it's sort of just that that sort of thing has always been out in the ether. Like he's Alfred E. Newman has always been around and he was sort of just hiding in all these nooks and crannies of American <laughs> pop culture and you know, just the most utilitarian things, like a box of matches or something, you know what I mean? Drugs. I, drugs yeah. <laughs> so I, I don't know. I think that that's something that's very um there's like a synchronicity with that in terms of him just permeating culture even before he was used for Mad Magazine. Yeah, I think he's he's a great character and he's so iconic. I recognized Alfred E. Newman before I kind of understood what Mad Magazine was. Yeah, because he's gone so far beyond the cover of this magazine. Yeah, he's become the uh, like as soon as you see it, it's almost he's he's become the image of an ideal. Yeah, you know what I mean, mm-hmm. or like a philosophy. Or I thought about getting an Alfred E. Newman tattoo. Do it. But is Damon's that like, too scared to get a tattoo with a baby. But is that weird though? No, I mean you can get like you can get him uh, like, done imagine, more. Like imagine like you can get him more, done more traditionally, or you can get him done as like one of your favorite characters, um, or as a cover that exists already. You don't think this is weird? Like imagine we're fucking, and then you have to like look down, and it's like Alfred E. Newman. I mean, where are you gonna get him done at your dick? Like, what are you talking Probably. about? No. It depends on where you get it. Placement is everything. Mm-hmm. You could even make it look like a comic book. And then it True. won't be so weird. Yeah. 
and it shows both your love of the magazine of the icon iconic image of him and also that you love fucking comic books and you're a fucking nerd yeah. but you're too scared to get tattoo yeah I well i just if somebody could come to my house to give me a tattoo that'd be dope i mean why does i, I want to be in the comfort of my house oh god okay what are we talking about you're talking about Nova. him being iconic and this how you is, thought about getting look, a tattoo of like, him that's kind of hard to see but like one of my favorite interpretations of him is uh there's a graffiti crew from new york called iraq one of their images was Alfred Newman mashed up with the Misfits logo. <laughs> so it was like his head and everything, but it was like the Misfits logo in it. Yeah. But that was pretty clever. I think, you know me, I'm pro-tattoo. You were slut for some tattoos. Slut for tattoos. When we went to the Trend Punk Rock flea market, you were like, I'll get, because they had the tattoo booth. The oh, yeah. Tattoo booth. Like, I'll get one right now. I'm always in the mood for a tattoo. Like, a big part of me wants to, like, keep it, like, oh, important to me or whatever. But then sometimes it's just like, nah, fuck it. I'll just get, like, anything. Mm-hmm. I feel like I don't have the personality for a tattoo. I don't have the personality for a tattoo. What does that mean, though? Well, what, what do you mean? Like, I'm, like, a like a fat, sweaty, like, awkward. I'm a awkward... fat, sweaty, awkward. Let's go. Keep going. Let's yeah, go. go. What are you doing? You're trying to mind fuck me Everything right that you're saying also applies to me, and I have tattoos. So what are you saying? But you're free. I'm free. You're you're free. I'm free. Yeah. You're just free. You're just like, ooh, I'm going to wear a tattoo. You're lame. And you're just... That's a a big, like, uh, character judgment just based on... I mean, I think that anybody who wants to get a tattoo can get it. You don't have to be a certain type of person. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of people who you look at them and they might not seem like the types that have tattoos and they have it. And they probably have it in very questionable places, too. So it's like... If you want it, get it. And if you don't, you don't. If you're scared, you're scared. That's fine. Whatever. But don't put, like, your your image and your insecurities on that. Can I tell you something right now? No. Alfred e. Newman. Jackie. Let's talk about Alfred e. no, Newman. No, no, no. no, I don't want to talk about this anymore. So the mystery of uh, where Alfred e. Newman came from is one that still hangs thick. Uh, we may never know. He's just always been around, peeking through We corners. should, like, start a show, kind of like Ghost Hunters. But it's just like hunting on the search it. for Alfred E. Newman, hunting for Alfred E. Newman. And we'll even like film it like a ghost show, uh-huh. a ghost hunting show. So I don't know. How, how are we like, are we going to like flea markets? Like how flea we... markets, but then everything is going to be like in the dark. Mm-hmm. With, like, so we break black, in when the like, flea market cameras. is closed. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And then every time we like open a book and you hear like the tr- the pages turning, I'm like, what was that? Is that Alfred? Did you hear it? Did you right. hear him? Is it the ghost of Alfred? Right. If you're here, let us know. <laughs> Just like <it's> giggling. <laughs> yeah. <In the> background. <laughs> One thing that I th- that was interesting. I mean, again, you you were never really into Mad, so you, this might be lost on you a little bit. But Mad Magazine every month used to have a Alfred E. Newman lookalike contest. <laughs> That's so silly. Have you heard of this? <laughs> Did they ever Did find ever someone that? to look like him? No. Yeah. Every month, you like. Basically, all these kids would send in pictures of themselves, holding up an issue with Mad Magazine. Uh huh. And they would choose, they would publish the one that looks the most like Alfred E. Newman. Oh, that's like there was, fun. You realize how, how, how there's like just millions of like little shaggy haired ginger children out there. <laughs> oh, that's really fun. Yeah. They were, that's the thing I think made Mad so different too is like their level of fan engagement was so beyond anything as a kid, but even as an adult, like not many print media platforms are that sort of invested in interacting with their fans or their readers you know like they were constantly publishing letters that they would respond to and every letter they got published you got sent a mad gift basket oh that's cool if you you know again like if you if you sent in a picture of 
like let's just say Michael Jordan was on the cover of Mad Magazine, if you were able to get a picture with you and Michael Jordan with him holding up himself on Mad Magazine, <laughs> like that was another like recurring thing. Like they would send you something, yeah, you know. So I it was yeah, it was it was something very. It still smelled very. It still smelled. It still felt very small. You know what I mean? It still felt yeah. very intimate. I think they managed to to balance, you know, being a very popular magazine with also sticking to its roots yeah and keeping their readers like first almost yeah like i think that's one of the strengths of this magazine is that they they knew what they were about and they didn't change too much and again they they just really knew how to make it fun and engaging to the readers and hopefully we can mirror that in our podcast i don't know how but i'm gonna maybe steal some of their ideas yeah because they obviously like had the formula down and it's really fun and i think i want to borrow your little bookie here just to like read it and i think that everybody who may have an interest in magazines comic books should definitely take a look at some of the issues like damon said in the past like it's really interesting just to see, like, just yeah. for as a visual medium, it's yeah. really fun. Um, it, was, it's, it was almost like Tumblr before Tumblr, I feel. <laughs> oh, Tumblr, remember when? Yeah. In 2018, after 67 years, almost 70 years, imagine. That's crazy. Unfortunately, they ceased publishing new issues. They're still in print, but they focus on doing reprints of old stuff. Okay. So they're still around, but there's not any new material. Which makes Damien very, very sad. Yeah, because that was the thing. Got him banned from Barnes & Noble. Got him banned from Barnes & Noble. (laughs) Um, And it's a shame because there was several generations of kids that were brought up on Mad. Mm -hmm. And now, because of the reprints, that's going to cease to be. I feel like kids can always read it, but it won't feel relevant to them. You know what I mean? Like Kids nowadays want to... They want to play Roblox. They don't want to, like, read... You know what I mean? Like, there's not going to be that thing that captures their attention. They're going to be like, oh, there's a fucking... There's a George Bush joke. What does that mean to kids? Like, I was in a supermarket, and there were these kids there that were the the cashiers. They were talking about 9-11. And one of them was like, oh, how old were you when 9-11 happened? This kid said one year old. So, like, that gender... Like, nobody's going to give a fuck. Do you you know what I mean? Like... Like, because it's no longer in publication, and... There won't be any current news. Like you won't see any mad, uh, mad magazine comics about like influencers. Yeah, or, you, yeah, exactly. Like the Avengers movie, blah, blah blah. Like anything that's current. Like you're you're saying that it's unfortunate that like people won't care about it anymore. Yeah, you won't see current day events being reflected in Mad Magazine. Yeah, um, I mean it is so- like its own little time capsule. Like every issue kind of has a piece of history in it and yeah that is really unfortunate but that's why um people who give attention to it whether it's through youtube videos you know instagram posts podcasts when they try to give it a little light i think that'll help because as we sort of mentioned in the beginning um it's relevant because like a lot of these events that they talk about and touch on are cyclical history repeats itself as they say so there is something to connect with and and find uh, current in them 
It's just how do we get it into people's hands? And unfortunately, that's the part that's going to be tough. It's like, yeah, unless you know someone who has them or you stumble upon them uh, in a in a comic book store one day, like, yeah, less and less people will become new fans of Mad Magazine. And that's sad. Yeah. It's just print media as a whole is kind of just like going away. Farts. And kind of towards the end, Mad Magazine started being bi-monthly. Mm-hmm. So it was coming out every two months. Then they ceased. Uh, they stopped distributing to newsstands and bookstores. Like mm-hmm. you could only find it at comic shops. That might have been like what that might have been what ended up kind of killing it a little bit because mm-hmm. there's going to be more people that go to like a newsstand than say like a comic book shop. That's true. But it left us all this incredible artwork, mm-hmm. all these things to think about. It really left us a model for like how to live your life, really. If I can, if I can be so hyper- hyperbolic <laughs> about it. And what is the motto? What? Me worry? <laughs> And with that, I think we've reached the end of our episode. I learned a lot. Um, and I'm really glad that Damien did the research and took the time to school us on Mad Magazine. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. For your time. I like doing this little kind of deep dive. Yeah, I want to do more deep dives. I don't know what's going to be like my deep dive. Like what? Probably like some anime thing. Maybe. Who knows? We'll see. But... This was super fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Yep. Hope you maybe open up a Mad Magazine. Google it. It's there. Find yeah. it. And we'll share some pictures of some of maybe Damien's stash. And if you want to follow Damien, you can do so at Damien Rivera on Instagram. Instagram. <laughs> if you want to follow me, I'm Jackie versus World. Also at Instagram. And if you want to talk to us, you can follow us at Trashman Kids at Instagram. Why don't we have a Twitter? Because Twitter's lame. Who has time for that? Hmm? Who has time for Twitter? Come on. Yeah, who has time for Twitter? And Damien would like to ask the people. We're in the spirit of Mad Magazine. That if you enjoy our podcast. I don't know. Where if you know. have questions. You can email us at trashbinkids at gmail.com. If you send us a letter, mm-hmm. we will read it. Even if it's obscene, we will read it. You want to send us funny letters? You want to send us notes about particular episodes? You want to send us slutty letters? You want to send pictures of your dog? You want to send nudes? You want to send the Anarchist no Cookbook? No nudes, please. You want to send us a PDF uh, download for the Anarchist Cookbook? You can do that. No, I don't want to be like you on can, the FBI's radar. You can do you. that. We love our fans. We want to send. Engage with us. Yeah, engage with us. So send us an email at trashbinkids at gmail.com. And we swear if one, anybody who writes a letter, we will read it. Yep. It's true. So you want to get your five minutes of fame? Do you want tens and twenties of people listening to your letter? If you had one shot. (laughs) One opportunity. (laughs) This is it. Email us. Goodbye. Rest in peace, more Drucker. Rest in peace, um, and Duck. And Duck Edwin. Right. Rest in peace, R.I.P. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. We love you. Mm-hmm.